Good morning, everyone. Hi, my name is Stephen Polino. Uh, I am a pastoral apprentice with Church 21. I work at the South Shore location. Hey, guys, I was working here at the downtown location briefly for about a year. I guess that's not too brief, but it's good to be back and see a lot of you, my friends. I'm happy to be here today. We are continuing our series on building a rule of life, and we're talking about a rule of life of money in regards to your money, your possessions, and hospitality. Uh, I know that you've probably heard this before, but I want to go over it one more time. The reason why we're talking about this series, A Rule of Life, is a rule of life is kind of like a trellis. I'm sure you've heard this example multiple times. I'm growing cucumbers at my house, and I noticed that they like to grow up. And the more that they spread out across the ground is the, uh, the less well that they do. But the more chance that they have to grow up within a frame is the more fruit that they bear. And so it's like that in the same way. The more that you build your life and your Christian walk around order and rules and discipline in regards to your money, your possessions, your hospitality, we talked about time, we're talking about other things, is the more fruit that you will be able to bear. And when it comes to money, it's, uh, it's one of those weird things. It really is. I've been told that Martin Luther said, and I say it like that because I couldn't find the quote myself, so I don't want to misquote Martin Luther, but I've been told that he said that cultivating generosity in a believer is so difficult that it almost requires a second conversion. I believe that financial generosity is one of the highest forms of Christian maturity. I believe that it's that last final stage of letting go of the kingdom of this world and embracing instead the coming kingdom of Jesus. Financial security is also money. What you want to do with your money is also, in a way, like uh, that final skeleton in the closet of your heart, if you will. More so, it's actually kind of like a leech that's in the back corner behind the skeleton. The skeleton is actually like your facade, the things you say about money with your issues are, but behind that is this leech that's sticking onto your heart and comes down to Matthew 6.24. It really comes down to that. Do you love God or do you love money? Jesus himself said that no one can serve two, money, two masters. You cannot serve God and money. And the more that we serve Money is the more that we allow that blood-sucking, life-sucking leech to remain on our hearts and rob us of joy, happiness, and contentment. It will grow, it will fester, it will give you an infection, and it will cause all sorts of problems in your life. That's the heart of that verse in James where it says that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Today I want to talk to you more about building a rule of life around, around your money so that you can be free of this leech that is robbing you of joy and contentment. I have many things to say. I have many things to say to the rich, to those who claim to be followers of Jesus and happen to be financially blessed. And I have many things to say also to those of you who are poor. It's the same question for both of you, though. It's the same question for all people. When it comes down to money, Jesus asks, who do you serve, God or money? See, you can have a love of money 
and an empty bank account. When it comes to the rich, there are some things that I, I would like to point out first that I believe that the gospel has to say to us all. And it's, it, this is the first thing that I would have to say, frankly, is I believe that it would be better for you if you had no money. I believe that, honestly, you would be more free, liberated, and experience more happiness, joy, and contentment if you were poor. I really believe that. And here, here's why. I want to talk to you about the story of the rich young ruler in Mark 10, 17 through 27. This rich young ruler comes up to Jesus and he says, hey, Jesus, what do I have to do to be able to follow you and inherit eternal life and see your kingdom after this world and death? And Jesus turns to him and says, well, he gives him some easy things, okay? Well, easy, but he gives him, he gives him a start. He says, well, you've heard the commandments. Don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal, don't commit adultery, honor thy father and mother. He starts off with those. And the rich young ruler says something along the lines of, Ho, oh, you must not know about me, Jesus. I am a very good boy. I have done all of those things since my youth. And so it says that Jesus turns to him in love and in compassion and says to him, okay, this one thing you lack. Go and sell everything that you have, give it all to the poor, and then come and follow me. And the rich young man, it says, went away sad because he had many possessions. I think that it's obvious on surface value in that story that we see that he couldn't follow Jesus and inherit eternal life because he loved money. This world, he loved the perishable things of this world more than God. But do you see also something else? Jesus is blatantly refusing this man access to himself unless he is willing to put everything down. And Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, as an example with this rich man, he turns to his disciples and he says, look, see how hard it is for the rich to inherit the kingdom of heaven. It is easier for a camel, a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. And by the way, I don't believe that there's any biblical or archaeological evidence for there being a camel's gate in Jerusalem where a camel had to get down and take everything off. If you know what I'm talking about, great. If not, whatever. I believe that Jesus is being literal, saying you gotta sh it would be easier to shove a camel through the eye of a needle than it is for the rich to go into the kingdom of heaven. And then he says, of course, keep this in mind. He says, with man, these things are impossible, but with God, all things are possible. To those who are poor, before we get any, any farther, I want you to say, I want you to see something. See how hard it is. See the burdens of those who have many things and rejoice that you don't have that problem. Focus on yourself anyways. What are you not willing to let go to follow Jesus? If your heart is caused to come to anger towards the rich because of things like this, then I believe that you just might have your own form of the problem of love of money. There are many ideologies also that I believe that the uh, 
that those who are followers of Jesus need to cast away from themselves. I believe that there's a lot of ideology and political uh, agenda and movements that the poor need to cast away from themselves. And I don't want to get into all of that. I just want to focus here and just say that I believe that Jesus is communicating that it would be easier for you if you were poor. Ultimately, though, I believe that the message of what Jesus wants those who have been financially blessed to do with their money isn't always just to renounce. Perhaps God is calling you to do that. Perhaps God is calling you to give away everything that you have and give to the poor. But I believe that more important than renouncing your finances, a better way to build your life around money, uh, a, a better rule of life around money, is to relocate what you're doing with your money. In Luke 12, 16 through 21, we see the story of a man who comes outside. This person is very rich. He comes outside and he sees that all of his barns are full. He's got plenty of cows. He's got plenty of goats. Not only are his barns full, but he looks out upon his, upon his fields and they are just bursting forth with fruit. And so, in his heart, he says, what am I going to do with all this stuff? I don't have room in my barns. I've got all these extra fruit. What am I going to do with it all? And he says, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns. I'll tear them down, and I'll build bigger barns. So then, I can put all my stuff in my bigger barns. See this message? This anxiety of heart? Him wanting to hoard all of his wealth? Well, in, Mark, in Luke 12, right after he speaks this way, God comes into the picture, and his response is this. He says, first word, fool. And then he says, this day thy life is required of you. The Old Testament and James 5 warn the rich not to hoard their wealth and their riches, not only because they corrode, not only because ultimately they have no real value, not, not only because ultimately they're just digitally manipulated fake numbers appearing on your screen, but because the pains of the poor, the pains of the widows, and the pains of those who are extorted in the fields are crying out to God. In Acts 2 and Acts 4, we see a better way of what we should be doing with our finances. In Acts 2 and Acts 4, we see how all the believers had gathered together. This is after Jesus had come to earth. He had lived. He had lived as a poor man, right? If it was good enough for him, it's good enough for me. He'd lived in a poor man. He was extorted. He faced death that he did not deserve, and in that death, he received the penalty that we deserve for our love of money and our love of materialism and temporal finite things and the foolishness that that is. And he rose again from the grave to give us freedom from this bondage. And after he reappeared to his disciples, he gave them the gift of the Holy Spirit to indwell in them, to help them see and have conviction Conviction is a good thing. It leads you to righteousness, and righteousness leads you to knowing God more, which leads you to happiness and contentment. And one of the first fruits that we see of the early church in Acts 2 and Acts 4 is that there was not a single person 
who was in financial need. They shared all things collectively. They had completely cast off materialism. It's possible. Stop seeking political agendas that you think will bring world peace financially. Government programs will always disappoint you. And ultimately, the kingdom of this world will continue to have poverty, sickness, and death, and failure, and destruction, and programs that fail, and fools that run the programs. You have to put your faith in seeing the kingdom of heaven as perfect and wonderful. And God is a good, loving father who provides all that you need. And here in that message of the early church, we see a little piece of the kingdom. And it's possible for us to live this way. It is possible for the church to gather together in community and make sure that there is no one who has a need. What it comes down to, though, is do you love God or do you love money? Are you willing to use your resources and your possessions to put forth this little beautiful picture of the kingdom? To get to see and partner with God the Father as a wonderful Father who provides all that you need. Do you want to experience that Do you want to experience the beauty and the wonder and the majesty of being able to help others? Or do you want to continue chasing your momentary, fleeting, dopamine rushes of reckless spending? And you know what? Guess what the Bible says a rich person is. And this is an absolute banger. I hope you're listening. All right? If you can pay your bills, you're not worried about what you're going to eat or drink today or tomorrow and you're not worried about where you're going to sleep and shelter today or tomorrow, you're a rich person. We have come a long way from what Jesus had to say in Matthew 6 regarding possessions. And I want to, and, and what a rich person is, I want to read that for you. Matthew 6, 25. Jesus is talking about money here. And by the way, Jesus knows how hard this is. Jesus wants you to come to him about your money problems. Jesus loves you and is available, and there is no problem that he is not willing to listen to. Listen, he says this in Matthew 6, 25. He says, therefore I tell you, he's talking 2,000 years ago, therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink. Don't worry about your body, what you'll wear. Isn't life more than food? Isn't life more than food? And the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns. They're not diversifying their investments. They're not working 80 hours a week. Listen, and your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than birds? And anyways, which of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? So Jesus has to say to us all about this leech that's in our heart, don't worry. Saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For those, verse 32, for those who do not know Jesus, run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first instead 
his kingdom and his righteousness and everything that you need shall be provided for you. When we seek his kingdom, all those worries, all of our love of money issues and our financial troubles become so small that the leeches in our heart simply shrivel up and fall off. When it comes to a rule of life about money, this is the main thing that I have to say. Building your life around the rule of generosity will free you from a love of money. Do you struggle with reckless spending? Give what you would spend away instead. Do you struggle with impulsive rash buying of crap you don't need? Give money away instead, and a leech will fall off. Do you struggle with envy or covetousness, wanting what other people have, stressing out in anxiety and anger and depression because you don't have it? Give, and another leech will fall off. All of these things are poisonous leeches stinking, sticking to your heart, and God has such a better way for you. God has something so much better than money for you. It's his kingdom. It's his kingdom. I want to share with you another beautiful picture of his kingdom. It was the garden at the beginning of time. God put the first man and the first woman in the garden. Did they work? No. They're just hanging out, going for a swim, eating fruit, even the bad fruit. You ever get one of those prickly pears? I do not know how people even eat those. Like, anyways, they didn't have those in the garden, I guess. Those are a cause of, a cause of sin in the world, perhaps. So, anyways, in the garden, man and woman were spending time simply enjoying God and his kingdom it wasn't until our disobedience and our rejection of him as good enough for us that came the curse of needing to sweat and labor in order to have enough to provide. You know, I believe that, like I said again, Jesus came as a poor man if it was good enough for him, it should be good enough for us. But he came as a poor man. I believe that part of this imagery is to show you that money isn't your problem. Sin is. Jesus saw that even if you didn't struggle with an issue about money, and some of you may be fortunate enough to be free of that, and I am so happy for you. But even if you didn't struggle with that, there are other things that you cannot put down or that you find difficulty with putting down instead of following him. A love of money will always blind you from seeing how good Jesus is because in essence, it is worshiping something that cannot satisfy you. The picture that Jesus provides for the cure to this problem is his work on the cross where he absorbed the debt and consequence that you deserve for rejecting him as king. And then guess what? This redemption, this freedom from it has no price. It's free. Do you struggle being loved with no strings attached? 
I know some people do. The picture of redemption, what Jesus has to provide in answering your love of money is simply this free gift where he just wants to receive you and set you free. It is Jesus' joy to set you free. Will you come to him? When we seek work and we seek success and money, we're worshiping this world and our hearts have forgotten the coming kingdom, that kingdom he came to tell us about where there will be no poverty, no neglected widows, no 25% rent increase, no sickness, no death, no extortion. We will not receive those things here. I want to go there. I want to see that kingdom. And I believe again that a mature Christian recognizes that only in that kingdom can we put our hope. And this frees us from the rabbit holes of political agendas that we want to keep chasing and chasing and chasing. You don't need to vote nearly as much as you need Jesus. To build a rule of life around money that reflects the good gifts that you have freely received as a rich person. And by the way, if you are worried about food, clothing, or water, or bills for tomorrow, let us know. The church has an obligation and a joy to help you care for those things. And we have money allotted for that in our budget as a church. To build a rule of life around generosity, first start by remembering your imperishable redemption. Then, repent of ideology and materialism and covetousness. Generosity is leech removal. You want to know how you get a, a leech off, by the way? To get a leech off, lots of people say, burn it! That's something that I would jump to. Burn it! It's kind of my solution for a lot of things in life. Bad idea, though, because that will cause it to regurgitate inside you and cause an infection. So we're ripping it off, right? You cannot do this by force. You cannot just rip off a leech. Has anybody ever had a leech? Man, terrible. Sometimes you're just crawling through a tunnel you're not supposed to be in, right? And then you come out and you're covered in them. It's like a surprise. Sometimes this leech, this love of money, we don't even know that it's there. But the best way to get a leech off is to put something flat in between the leech and your skin. Hey, you know what's flat? Your debit card. <laughs> Put your debit card in between your heart and the poisonous sin of greed and covetousness and the love of money. Here is my most practical piece of advice. Take your budget. This is where the rule of life pragmatism comes in. Take your budget and flip it upside down. Give first. In Malachi 3.10, you've got, you got doubts about provision. You've got doubts about having enough. You've got doubts about giving what you feel called to fully give, but wondering if there's going to be enough at the end. I want to read for you as encouragement, Malachi 3. God says this in Malachi 3, beginning in verse 8. Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say to God, how have we robbed you? And God answers back, in your lack of tithes and contributions. 
Bring the full tithe into my storehouse so that there may be food in my home. And thereby, says the Lord, put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. I dare you, he says. I challenge you. Try me in this. That if you don't bring the full, if you bring the full tithe into the storehouse, if I will not open the very windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. God promises to provide for you. He will. He is faithful. Try it. Try it. When you try it, when you seek the kingdom first, when you put your faith in your good heavenly father to provide for you, and you give, you cause your hand to put forth that which you have earned by working. And in Deuteronomy, by the way, it says that it is the Lord who has given you the ability to produce wealth. When you take from that and you say, God, I love you, and I want you to have the first fruits of this, he will bless you, and he will provide for you. If you're giving just to get, that's also a love of money and a problem. And that's the only side note that I have to say about the prosperity gospel. But listen, God promises that he will take care of everything that you need. Oftentimes, we tend to focus too much on other people and what they should be doing with their money. Money is uh, it's very taboo. It's very taboo. I, I've had more conversations with my adult married friends about sex. The complexities, the difficulties, the realities, than I have about money. How many of you know somebody that you could just go up to and be like, hey, how much is in your savings account? Would you tell anybody how much is in your savings account? <laughs> Do any of you have a, I don't, what's a savings account? Some of you are like, <laughs> It's taboo, and we don't want to talk about it because it's a leech. we got to cast off that leech of envy, and we do that by cultivating generosity. We do that by seeking his kingdom because the more that we see the beauty of the richness of who God he is is the, mo is the more that we see how petty our money is here in this life. I want you to see in Luke 21, for those of you who are poor, I have some encouragement for you. In Luke 21, there's this story of this widow and how she gives two mites. I'm going to read for you the story, but I want you to just picture something with me, okay? Picture a, a three-foot-eight crippled woman with a cane covered in rags. Just do that for me, okay? Jesus looked up, and he saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury, not even noticing how much gold they're dumping. And they're just doing it so they get seen. And also he saw this certain poor widow put in two mites. The value of two mites is that it was one sixty-fourth of a denarius, which was a day's wage. Modern equivalent of that is like if minimum wage is 14 Something, something, I'm not really good at math, okay? So if minimum wage is uh, $14.80, then I, I think that the, the variable of, of what it is, the Pythagorean theorem, no, what it comes down to is this is the value of $1.87. 
that this woman gives. One dollar and 87 cents. Do you have one dollar and 87 cents? Jesus turns to his disciple, his disciples, seeing how much the rich have put in and seeing the one dollar and 87 cents that she put in. And he says, truly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than every other person who has come today. For all of these in their abundance put out things they don't even notice. Amounts that don't even affect them. Lunch money. But she, out of her poverty, put in all the livelihood that she had. Do you see the heart difference? Do you see the heart difference? Jesus said she gave more. She believed And God is her good father who promised to provide. And she might not have understood. Oftentimes when I'm preparing my budget and I'm putting giving at the the top, it literally does not make sense. And that does not help because I'm already terrible at math. But it literally does not make sense. But as I put my hand towards giving, what I in conviction believe that the Lord is calling me to do, to seek his kingdom and put him first every single month, it just works out. This widow in her, in her destitute state had nothing, was truly poor. Maybe she didn't know what she was going to eat tomorrow. I dare you to have such faith. God says, try me. Will you let go, let go of your love of financial security? Will you get to see the blessing of experiencing God as your provider. If you're giving nothing, I want to challenge you to give something. Generosity starts incrementally. Start by giving something. Figure it out, and then take time to work out your budget. That's also a pragmatism of this series. I believe that in the rule of life handbook at the very end, there's an opportunity to work out your budget. Utilize that. Balance things. We've come such a long way since food and clothing being our needs. In regards to possessions, here's some advice that I have. First of all, the question is, what is it? Why do you want it if you can't take it with you? What is it and why do you want it if you can't take it with you? There's a balance to this, right? Does it serve a certain form to help you in your life? Does it serve a certain function? Or is it foolishness? Is it a wasteful way to spend money? Does possessing this item or doing this thing with your money, does it give you feelings of security or status? We've got to challenge those things in our hearts. Or perhaps do you need just some self-control? Ask your spouse or your change group partner to help you if you have a problem with money. One of the things that my wife and I do is we have, uh, we, have a, we have a three-step rule. The first step is we ask the other person. We show the other person, hey, can I have this Lego set? <laughs> the other person is like, well, yes or no, maybe, right? Okay, if it's a no, it's done. That's our rule. If it's a yes or if it's a maybe, The second phase of our rule is to wait three days. And in three days, do I still need 
this thing? Do I still need this thing? There's a balance to this, okay? If the answer is no, then phase threes don't get it. And I believe that changing my life around this ideal towards how I see possessions has really given me a lot of freedom and helped me experience a lot of contentment and made me realize how many different objects I have that do the same thing for coffee. Listen, Jesus wanted to communicate to you that for those who are his followers, you shall inherit all things in his eternal kingdom if you are faithful to the end in this life of suffering and lack. We see in Revelation 4.4 where the 24 elders are gathered around the throne of Jesus to worship him. And Jesus gifts them with crowns of gold. And they take them off and they throw them down and fall on their faces just to enjoy worshiping Jesus. Their hearts finally get it. Our hearts will finally get it when we are in his kingdom for those who are faithful to the end. That Jesus is so much better than stuff. And if you start with that now, if you focus on Jesus being so much better than stuff now, you will experience greater freedom. In regards to possessions and hospitality, God created us to love people and use things. But materialists love things and use people. I want to advise you to expand the amount in your budget for hospitality. I want to invite you into enjoying people, not possessions. Maybe you can't do very much with hospitality. Maybe that's offering somebody, you know, a Coke. Like, maybe it's offering somebody, like, uh, um, grapes, fruit, like it doesn't even matter. I just really challenge you to invite people into your homes and to cultivate enjoying people over possessions. Materialism is like Coca-Cola. I get this idea from Slavoj Zizek, so I don't, I don't want to just like rip him off, but materialism is like Coke. Coca-Cola is a commodity because when it's cold, it's the real deal. It's enjoyable. It gives you a rush, Right? But when it's warm, it's worthless. It's just battery acid. When it's warm, it's worthless. And the more Coke that you drink also is the thirstier that you are. Because you need water, right? And this is the best example of the flawed thinking of desiring possessions and refusing hospitality in your life that I can think of. It's like continuing to give yourself stuff and continuing to thirst and desire and crave more stuff. And, and you're missing out. You're missing out on experiencing real life. And real life is real people. I love having people over and getting to know them. Man, it's great to hear their stories, to talk to them to find out where they're at with spirituality or knowing Jesus, see what's going on with them, what their troubles are, to pray with them, to commune with them, to encourage each other. You know, I had a, a friend over recently, and um, in, in hospitality, 
and having a, and wanting to do that for him and really welcome him because I had no idea when I was going to ever see this person again, but I really wanted to see him at least once. I, um, I decided that I'm going to go out and buy really nice pate. So I spent like 25 bucks on pate, okay? Like, you know, like a thing, okay? It comes over and it turns out, guess what? He's a pate connoisseur. Can you imagine that? Can you even imagine that? Imagine I had thrown him some like $5 piece of schlop on the table, right? And he, as soon as he bit into it, no, he, he dipped his cracker into that pate and he said, this is delicious. And in seeing his face, I got to experience what God wants us to experience in providing generously for others joy. Joy and contentment and freedom from a love of things. Jesus said, which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? No, none of you would do that. Hospitality brings joy. It's setting the table for others, just as Jesus has set the table for you. Are you depressed and miserable? Try having people over to your home. Try opening up in communication and vulnerability and seeing how we all struggle with many things that will encourage you and buy them some nice pate unless they're allergic. Try inviting people into your home. I know depression and I know that having others over and spending time with them in community has been a cure to that. In conclusion, I want to I share for you about one of the ways that I picture the kingdom of heaven. One of the ways that I picture God inviting all peoples to. It's a feast. It's this massive table full of good, delicious, best you've ever had anything that you want. And you're not allergic to anything anymore. No gluten problem. You eat all the bread. It's so crusty. And there's so much butter. And it is thick. And it's going to be delicious. The wedding feast that God has prepared for us, for those who follow him in Revelation, is where he gets to sit down with us all. And he has prepared this wonderful table of himself, the bread that does not leave anyone hungry. We get a little piece of that in the word now. Experience him through the word. Jesus said that man cannot live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. We're going to get to feast upon that, that satisfaction of not needing stuff or anything else because we're always full and satisfied. At this banquet also, there will be rivers of life flowing out of our hearts so we'll never be thirsty again. It's a feast that we don't deserve and it's a feast that he simply wants to give to you. It's a table that he has simply prepared for you as free and he asks you to lay down your love of money, your love of this world and instead receive his better priceless gift of love and friendship through his life, death, resurrection, and coming kingdom. He's waiting for you. God wants so much for you, more than money. 
He wants you to come and feast at his table. And when you choose to enjoy him, when you feast at this table, when you get a little taste of these delicacies and his free gifts, you can't help but want to invite others in and you will not be able to contain yourself from wanting to give away all that you have so that others can experience what is better. Let me pray for y'all. Jesus, I love you. And I am so thankful that you are so much better. Jesus, I pray that you would heal this people, all the people in Church 21 who are suffering with the leech. Lord, help them turn their budgets upside down. Help them experience you as provider. God, free us from materialism, Lord. You show us that Acts 2 and Acts 4 are a better way and what the church should look like. Help us aspire to that and help us live that so that we can abandon this consumeristic culture and show generosity to a people and a culture in this world who would have no understanding of generosity. Help us love people through our finances. Help us love you through our finances. And Jesus, I pray for all of those who are, who are suffering today, who are weak, who are beaten down, or broken in the back, having trouble walking or even getting out of bed, Lord, I pray that you would heal them physically as needed, Lord, and spiritually as needed, Jesus. And I pray, Jesus, that you, you would help us. Only your Holy Spirit, Lord, can get that leech off. I pray that you would do that work for us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.